Two American missionaries working in Suratov, Russia, were kidnapped this Wednesday. The Americans had been living in the Volga River region of southwestern Russia and were last seen at a church meeting on Wednesday evening. Church leaders close to the missionaries recently received a ransom note demanding 300,000 U.S. dollars. The kidnappers have threatened to kill both missionaries if they do not receive the ransom. Wow, that was that was terrifying. Yeah, man, what a scary thing to go through. Seriously, good thing it didn't happen to us. Fifteen years ago, we spent a year together in Russia, and it has stuck with us ever since. Russia became a permanent part of who we are. Through the good and the bad, we found the motherland to be a place like no other. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm Grant. I'm David. And this is To Russia With Love. There were a lot of reasons we were stressed out during those first few months in Russia, and one of those reasons was because we had heard stories just like the news story that we just listened to. And that actually happened. This is a true story. It happened to a couple of missionaries who were working in the same town where we lived, and these guys got kidnapped. Yeah. Two American missionaries, just like us, they got kidnapped. Now, they weren't working with the same church, were they, Grant? No, uh, these two guys were working with the Mormon church, which if you know anything about the Mormons, you know that they send out missionaries all over the world. Right. We didn't actually know them. This happened a few years before we arrived. But we got to know a few of the Mormon missionaries that were there while we were there. In fact, they were kind of friends of ours because we were American. They were American. We kind of had this bond that... Uh, was just automatically there, and we would hang out and spend some time with them. Even though our religions were supposed to be competing with each other, they kind of became uh, a source of support for us, and I, and I think we became a source of support for them, right? Exactly. Our our Russian teacher, Mikhail Sergeyevich, he was the one who first introduced us to them. And he was cool about it because he, unlike the Baptists who were like, oh, don't talk to the Mormons, man, they're they're the competition. They're trying <laughs> to get more members for their church, and we want more Baptists. Yeah. And we kind of, I mean, we weren't Baptist either, though. You know, we were just Christians, but we didn't really have a horse in the race on, like, who's going to get more members into their church. And so we were like, let's let's meet these guys. And yeah. uh, Mikhail took us to, to the Sparzal, to this uh, sports hall. And uh, and the Mormons, they had a regular activity where they would play basketball and play sports with the, the young kids. It was a way for them to bond with the youth. And so we went and, and we met those guys. Up till then... We had been there what, like a month, two months, and uh-huh. we had only really, only really spoken with each other. So the three of us were the only Americans that we had to talk to, and so we were pretty sick of each other by by that point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was, like you said, the three of us were still there. Murph was still with us when we met the Mormon guys. It was funny because they were always together. I mean, sometimes you would see them walking down the street, and so we always would joke that they were life partners. <laughs> We always made those <laughs> jokes, which worked okay when there was three of us. But then after Murph left, we realized, oh, we're the we're the life partners together. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, you and I are the life partners. Tell us a little bit about uh, religion in Russia, Dave. So before the revolution, Russia was an officially Orthodox Christian country. And that's ever since it was Christianized in the 10th century. 
And so you had strong ties between the church and the state. Uh, you know, no such thing as the First Amendment. Uh, Tsar Nicholas I, he, when he was talking about the foundations of Russia, he said it was founded on the bedrock of pravoslavie, samedzirzhavie, narodnosts, which is orthodoxy, autocracy, and the nation, the, the mm. homeland. And so it was the official religion, but there were there have always been other religions in Russia as well okay. uh, for centuries, for a long time. You've got the southwest region, the Caucasus Mountains, and, and those are home to people, to Muslim ethnicities. Hmm. And uh, there's always been Jewish communities in Russia for, I mean, almost as long as the country has existed. Yeah. And then a lot of the native people in Siberia, they practice different uh, traditional animist religions. And for the last couple centuries before the revolution, there were even a few little Protestant congregations in Russia, and they were allowed to exist to some extent. And hmm. some of those... Some of them were Mennonites, there were uh, other denominations, and some of them joined together and became what is now the Russian Baptist Church, which was the church that we worked with. And then the revolution comes in 1917, and that's it. No more religion. All of a sudden, they declare Russia is an atheist state. Religion is of the past. We're going to crack down on any kind of practice of religion. And so churches started closing down. By the dozens, some of them were gutted out and turned into gyms and meeting halls. And during the communist times, there were just a few Orthodox and Protestant churches that were allowed to keep running. Also, Catholic churches were allowed to operate. Uh, but the government had to be able to have open access to everything. I heard stories from a Catholic nun about the, the Soviet days when a lot of people stopped going to confession because they knew that some of the priests were informing to the government. Wow. And so if you went and confessed and said, hey, I... I'm having, I'm feeling, you know, anti-patriotic feelings, and I feel like it might be a sin. The priest oh, will say, man. hey, do five five Hail Marys, and then he's going to go tattle on you to the government, and you <laughs> get thrown in jail for it. So it's not, not the kind of thing that's going to, you know, encourage uh, trust in your, your local clergy. No. So then the, the USSR falls apart in 1991, and then it was just open season. Right after the end of the Iron Curtain falls down, uh, the Soviet Union falls apart, and all of a sudden, just all these foreign religions flood the country. Mm. So a lot of Russian people, they go back to their Orthodox roots. They start going to church. They start attending mass in droves. But a lot of people were curious about these new foreign religions. I mean, you remember, Grant, how guys who had lived through the Soviet days talked to us about rock music, foreign yeah. rock music. It was, it was like exotic. It was, you know, interesting because it was forbidden for a long time. And so people were curious about it. And the same thing with these foreign religions. And so all these different new sects and denominations of all kinds came in. And I'm, I mean all kinds. There were Hare Krishnas, Jehovah's Witnesses, Neo-Pagans, Hindus, Satanists. You had dozens of different kinds of evangelical Christians. There's a scholar, uh, Elliot Bornstein. He describes Russia as the Southern California of Europe at that time, just because of all the different, totally different kinds of religions that Russia had. And, of course, one of those religions was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons. And Grant, you did a little research on the Mormons in Russia, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, you could say uh, going back before uh, religious freedom was possible in the 90s in Russia that there was a Mormon presence in Russia. Really? But it was very minimal. In 1895, there was a Swedish Mormon who was sent to St. Petersburg to baptize the Lindelof family. Huh. According to the records that I was able to find through uh, the LDS uh, websites. That was one of the only known and official Mormon families in the country, even through 
up and through most of the 20th century. In the early 1900s, a few of the leaders of the Mormon church came and visited this family in Russia, but things were pretty slow going from then on. Wow. There's not a lot of information about the Mormon church during the 20th century, but according to the, the church... In 1989, there were 20 official Mormons in the entire country. Man, that's not a big that's not a big pool if you want to marry somebody of your own faith. You're uh, you're you're getting down to the the single digits almost there. Uh, just a few people right. die off, and you're done for. But um, but yeah. since then, uh, they've grown to over 23,000 people in Russia. That's that's the number that there was uh, last year. So, Dave, as you said, in 1991, when uh, after the the Iron Curtain came down and religion was allowed back into Russia, the Mormon Church was officially recognized as a religion. And one of the main reasons I think why they might have done that, and people kind of laugh about this, is there was a, a big famous concert in 1991 with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Uh, they were to come perform at the Bolshoi Theater, which is the big, well-known, popular ballet and fine arts theater in Moscow. No way! And the, they performed in the Bolshoi. Yeah, in 1991, and I no think, way. and I think, to be able to uh, be as inviting as they could be to them, I think the the government decided, hey, we'll we'll recognize uh, Latter Day Saints as an official. Uh, church. And so from there up until uh, 2011, they're able to operate as they normally do. Um, House calls, street evangelism, the whole nine yards. Wow. So Mormons are harmless, of course, and we all know that now. But uh, at the time, people in Russia didn't know anything about a lot of these new religions. And not all of the new religions that came to Russia were harmless. So a big example of that is a cult from Japan called Aum Shinrikyo. And that's one of those religions that, that came during those post-Soviet years. And uh, for people who've never heard of this group, Aum Shinrikyo, this is really scary stuff. Hmm. It's it's wacky stuff, too. It's like, it's one of the craziest... I mean, I guess if somebody's an atheist, all religion seems wacky to them. It's all relative. But these guys, I mean, they just mix everything. They've got New Age stuff. They've got Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, doomsday stuff from the Book of Revelation, they're just throwing it all together. And it's, and of course their leader is the voice of God. You know, it happens with a lot of cults. And so these guys, not only are they, they wacky, but they're really scary. So they launched a terrorist attack in 1995 in Tokyo, in the Tokyo subway. They released this really toxic gas, sarin gas, and it killed 12 people. It injured over a thousand others. Wow. And, uh, and that is the group that, that did this terrorist attack. So this group came to Russia, and somehow a lot of people who were interested in new ideas, they liked what these guys were preaching. And so at one point, up to 30,000 Russians joined this group. Wow. And I, I was reading up on it. There's still cells out there. There's still groups of Aum Shinrikyo in Russia. And uh, there's a scholar of religion, Raman uh, Lunkin. He has a quote here from a newspaper a Russian newspaper from 2016 when the government actually cracked down um, and busted up some gatherings of Aum Shinrikyo that were still taking place in Moscow, St. Pete's and, Saint Pete's and uh, Montenegro also. And this scholar, he's saying, you know, we're not sure how tied they are exactly to the group that did the terrorist attack. Maybe they're just inspired by some of the ideas. But what's interesting is just that a group linked to this terrorist attack still exists in Russia, so all that to say, there is real concern there. I mean, like the 
risk of terrorism happening kind of concern. Yeah. And so in the in the early 90s, all these new religions are coming and then this attack happens in Tokyo. The authorities in Russia, they're like, OK, we've got to we've got to check these guys out. We've got to check out all these foreign religions hmm. and see what they're up to. They're thinking this not only just because of terrorism, but this was just right after the the fall of the USSR, right after what we would say the end of the Cold War was. The global espionage was huge at the time, and they knew that with more access to Russia, that the CIA was going to be in, in Russia, was going to be trying to figure out what's going on all over there. They don't know where those foreign spies might be lurking, right? I mean, it would be really exactly. easy to come over as a religious missionary but to also have some ties to uh, the political or or government ties in in other countries as well. Exactly. So so that was the context where our friend and our Russian teacher Mikhail Sergeyevich, he got hired by the KGB to spy on the Mormons. Yeah, I think I, I th- there must be some more backstory to this, but the way that he told it was the KGB just basically sat him down and said, "We want you to to join the the Mormon church, we, there's this new religion in town, and we want to know about it. We want you to go and to find out everything you can about them. You and I have kind of speculated that that maybe he was coerced into that a little bit. We've talked a little bit about our teacher, Mike, but he was he was what I would say he would be on the liberal fringe in Russia. He, he had long hair. Yeah. He was a teacher. He was a kind of, in that way, kind of an intellectual. He loved the West. He loved America. He loved um, American music, English music. And I think some of those things may have put him on kind of a watch list for the KGB himself. They might have had some dirt on him and coerced him into spying on the Mormons. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he was on some kind of list. I mean, the same thing happened in the Cold War in, in, in the States, if you had too many ties to... Yeah. To Russia, to countries that the U.S. wasn't getting along with, you'd get on an FBI watch list too. Yeah, and so so these guys, uh, KGB, which then you know after communism became the FSB, uh, the Federal Security Service, and so the FSB, formerly KGB, goes up and they they say, "Can you join this church? I mean, get baptized, pretend like you're really into it, and find out what they're up to." And so he does. He goes and he the missionaries came to his door. And he said, whatever, like, yeah, I need meaning in my life. Please tell me about the <laughs> Book of Mormon. And, and so he went, he went along with the whole thing. And they were like probably thinking, oh, this is the easiest convert we've ever had. Man. <laughs> this guy is just, just begging he's, to be a part of the He's not church. suspicious at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's not slamming the door in our face. And so just like fast track conversion, you know, he gets baptized, becomes an official member, starts going to meetings. And uh, I think he did that for a few months, you know, long enough to figure out what they're up to. And so he went back and he reported to the FSB and and he said, you know, these guys, I don't know, they're a little strange in my opinion, but they're harmless. They're not they're not terrorists. They're not spies. They're just a religion like all these other religions. Yeah. And so the K, the KGB, FSB said, OK, thank you. You've completed your mission. You are free to go. So they let. Mike go, but the Mormons wouldn't let him go. <laughs> I think to to this date they like they don't let him go, right? Like we would we would see him trying to hide from them when we were walking around with him. Oh man, there was times we'd be walking down the street and all of a sudden he'd duck behind a car and we'd be like, What's going on? And and he'd be like, It is the Mormons. They are looking for me. 
and uh, and we're like, <laughs> what? Uh, and and he just kind of told us that you know since he was baptized there, they just kind of thought he was backslidden and they figured, you know, all they had to do was, was talk with him and, and get him to come back to church. And then he would be, he'd be okay and everything. But man, he was so afraid of them. He was more afraid of them than the KGB, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. He was, he was so afraid. Like sometimes we would call him and pretend to be them just as a joke and he would hang up right away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we would we would impersonate the the Mormon missionaries Dima um and we we we'd call it that was so funny. But you know what we were we were in some ways, you know, we've done that as well. Do you remember remember Fat Mormon and we would hide from him? Right, we were on the opposite end of the, <laughs> the exchange with Fat Mormon. He was this guy, he was a, a member of the Mormon church. He he was sincere. I don't think he was working for the government. No. He actually joined. My opinion is that I think he was kind of lonely too. Yeah. I think he joined because it was they were friendly to him and and I mean who knows you know, everyone has their own reasons for for joining a church, yeah. but he was an, he was kind of a strange dude. He was like he was a very very obese man. He had this grill of silver teeth. He had like <laughs> this this gravelly voice like David Itaya Sergey. <laughs> like he struck me as kind of a lonely dude. Like he really needed friends and and so we we'd be. Got to know him because we would go to the Spatzal with the the Mormon missionaries, and yeah. he would be there playing basketball. And we we had him to our house a couple of times, didn't we? Yeah, and he he really enjoyed music, and I remember him uh, talking about like wanting to play music together. And he'd come over and he'd pluck a few notes on the string of our guitar, and he wasn't very good, but uh, but he he was he was an, he was an interesting guy. Um, you went to his house though once, right? Yeah, I never yeah, was, I, I never was, went. Oh, you you were not missing out on much. It was a really <laughs> sad thing to see. Like, I think his his wife had left him a few years before, and he was just like living alone. I went to his house, and it, like he fed me this this chicken that had been sitting on the stove for probably like a week. It it was rancid, oh. like I, it just tasted totally rotten. And uh, and that's the one of the only times I've gone to someone's house and actually made up an excuse to not eat their food. Because yeah. I, I really don't try not to be rude, but I was like, I'm gonna get deathly sick if I eat this. And he uh, he had these photos that the missionaries gave him of them back in their hometowns in Utah and wherever they're from. And he was just like, his eyes lit up when he showed me the photo, and he pointed at it and he said, "David, it's America, it's Dorava, it's like, America, that's America, it, David, it's good, that's great." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but he was he was kind of pushy, like kind of he got kind of obnoxious and pushy because I think he he was attention starved. Well, yeah, he he had the he had the mentality of he would show up and knock on our door and we'd open it up to say hi and he'd put his like foot in the doorway. <laughs> yeah, literal literal foot in the door. No matter if we had something we had to get to or we were in the middle of something, like we knew if if he was there, we were going to spend a couple of hours just sitting around and him telling us how great America was. I, I remember one time we were, I think all three of us were heading out the door. We were, we got an, got our backpacks on and we were about to leave. And we had gotten into the habit of checking the peephole as we go out of our apartment. And we did, and we saw him out there. We all freaked out. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I think, I think Murph may have uh, been looking out the window. He said, whispers to us, Guys, Fat Mormon is out there. What are we going to do? 
And and he was all like I said, he, he was also the kind of in the same way that he would put his door in the or his foot in the door. He was also the same kind of guy who would look into the peepholes backwards and see if he could see movement. Um, yeah, so, like it, it doesn't work that way. You, you can't see anything through the peephole, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's always staring into it. But we freaked out. So we we all jumped right into the bathroom, which was right next to our uh, door going out of our apartment. And we closed the door to the bathroom so that way, just in case he couldn't see anything. And we were just... We were just sitting in our bathroom for like 10 minutes, all three of us standing in the shower, whispering and giggling like little girls. <laughs> yeah, we were we were hiding from him just like Mike was from the missionaries. Yeah. I think we told we later on we told that story to our Baptist friends in in Russia and uh, and so then they would try to play jokes on us because they <laughs> they'd heard about Fat Mormon and Dolsty Marmon. Yeah. And uh, one time they came they came to our house to visit us. And there is that guy, Sasha. He was a really funny dude, like a really kind of you know, short squat dude. And he was always playing jokes. <laughs> and and so, like, Sasha comes up and and they, they told me later on that they said, Hey, Sasha, pretend to be Tosti Marmon. Pretend like you're fat Mormon so you can scare <laughs> David. And so he, he knocks on the door and he says, David, it's me, fat Mormon. It's a Tosti Marmon. <laughs> like, like he, he he really thought that was the guy's name, or he thought, that's how the guy refers to himself. Yeah, <laughs> it's Fat Mormon. Oh man. Yeah. So we were, you know, we were afraid of Fat Mormon. Mike was afraid of the missionaries, but the guys who really had something to be afraid yeah. of were the Mormon missionaries themselves. <laughs> I mean, there there were some some news stories right around the time, not very much time before we lived there, involving the Mormons getting attacked. Attacked by guys like violent attacks. So the first one was in 1998. Before the kidnapping, there was this other attack on different Mormon missionaries, not in uh, Saratov, but in a, a different region in huh. central Russia, in the city of Ufa. So these guys, they were you know two Mormon missionaries. They got attacked, and the really freaky thing about this is we don't know why they got attacked. So it was two guys. One guy, was his name was Jose Manuel McIntosh. He was 20 years old. He was from Nevada. And he was killed. Some dude in the city of Ufa in Russia came up with a knife and stabbed these two guys. Wow. And like to this day, the motive of that crime, it's, it's not entirely clear. Like we don't know if it was, uh, you know, just for robbing them. We don't know if it was a hate crime. We don't know if it was uh, suspicion because of what we talked about with the fact of they're representing this foreign religion that people didn't know what was going on with it. Or maybe they just kept knocking on the door and waking this person up from their nap. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we don't know. But uh, but both of these guys, they got stabbed in Ufa, Russia. So his companion, uh, oh. his, uh, Bradley Allen Borden was the companion. He was 20 years old, too. He was from Mesa, Arizona. And they were just leaving the home of this Mormon family they were visiting in Russia so one of the recent converts, they were just leaving that home, and some dude just came up and stabbed these guys with a knife mm. a bunch of times. And as, as far mm. as as far as I can tell, and I'm looking at the the articles from AP News and uh, from the Chicago Tribune, but I I don't see any apparent motive for why the guy stabbed these dudes. The witnesses said that the man who killed Macintosh Macintosh uh, died from the wounds. His companion went to the hospital, wow. but he survived. Witnesses said that the attacker was drunk at the time. That's about all we know. But, like, that's the scariest thing about that is these kind of random— I, and I don't know about you, Grant. To me, when I think about this, it makes me think about uh, things like shootings in the U.S. and in other countries, these random yeah. shootings 
Like, I mean, hate crimes are, are terrifying, but these random shootings, it's like when you don't even know why somebody is shooting or, or stabbing you or anything. Yeah. It's like, what, dude, what There's did no I... There's no rhyme or reason. Right. What What did I do here? <laughs> why, why is this happening? Well, the, the other story that really impacted us was um, the story of elders Propst and Elder Tuttle, who actually lived in the town across the river from where we lived. We were we were in the town Angles, which was kind of the sister city of Saratov. And uh, both of these towns kind of straddled the Volga River. We would catch the train in Saratov. That was the town of Saratov was where we would go to get royal burgers and, and different things like that. Yeah. So they were uh, missionaries over there in 1998 as well. They were kidnapped and there was a ransom that they had uh, that this kidnapper wanted to get from keeping them. It sounds like uh, this kidnapper was just in it for the money and uh, knew of these Mormon missionaries and kidnapped them. He invited them to his home. Uh, when they walked into the home, somebody hit them on the back of the head, knocked them out, and they were held for a few days. I, I, and and actually, I'm 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 looking right now. It was it was a while. They it 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 wasn't just a they've got them for a day and then let them go kind of a thing. These these Mormons missionaries were there dealing with this situation for a while. And I can't imagine like what that would be. Can you imagine Dave? Like if we went and visited someone and all the next thing we know, we were knocked out and waking up with our hands tied behind our back. I think they've, they have some quotes. They've talked about being tied to the radiator, which that was kind of a normal thing. Each of the, each of the apartments that we were in, you know, had radiators to, for the heat, but being connected to that and just not being able to get up and get out, that would be terrifying. (laughs) Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind with, with all these home visits we were doing with Pastor Vitali and the Baptists, like if we, if we had gotten knocked out and tied to a radiator, I would have been like, seriously, for for this like <laughs> like at least at least kidnap me for a good reason i don't even want to be involved with these guys really which i think that's that's probably the biggest re- difference between me and and the mormon missionaries is they are, they're committed these guys are really committed to yeah. their their church and to building their church a lot more than we were yeah i mean more especially more than we were with the russian baptists cuz we weren't even baptists we were just like we were evangelical christians of no particular mm-hmm. denomination you know yeah you know we were we were working with the baptist church cuz cuz we had a relationship with them but like to yeah. to imagine just like getting knocked out and tied up I mean, even nowadays, you know, if like these days I'm not affiliated with missionary work, I've actually I've gone Catholic these days. That's its own story. Yeah. But it's like if I were to get kidnapped these days for any reason, because somebody thinks I have money, because somebody thinks because I have a U.S. passport, that means I have money. And it's a terrifying thought. Like for for any reason that they they think they need to kidnap you, it's it's terrifying to think about. Like like you don't know to what lengths they're gonna go. Are they gonna torture you? Are they gonna what uh-uh. what are they gonna do <laughs> yeah. to you to get that money? Like these these are desperate guys. Yeah. They they're beyond good and evil. They they really don't they don't give a damn about what they're gonna have to do to get their money. And so like no matter where you're from or, or what you represent, like to, the thought of getting kidnapped. To me, that's one of my biggest fears. It's terrifying to me. Well, the Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, is one of the most wealthy organizations in the United States. So this kidnapper knew that and knew that there was money in the church and that he could probably try to get some out of that. But what he didn't know was that they don't negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) They don't. 
they don't play that game. And uh, and that's one of the things, you know, as like the American government also like doesn't deal with those types of things because once you do that one time then all of a sudden everybody's getting kidnapped and the mormon uh missionaries there's thousands of them out there around the world if they would have paid then the next week you know hundreds of missionaries would have been getting kidnapped so so this this kidnapper realized that that nothing was going to come out of this and i see here uh, at the Desert News, which is the LDS kind of uh, web, uh, news website, it talks about on the fifth day, the kidnapper said he got he came home really drunk and said he was going to let the missionaries go. And so what <laughs> he did was he took took Propston Tuttle out in his car, drove out. And this was uh, this was in, I think, March, which March was is like the dead of winter. The coldest time of the year is like from January yeah, to still March. Snow, snow on the ground everywhere in Russia. That's that's like that's what people yeah. people think of Russia. That they think of what March is like in Russia. Snow everywhere. Freezing. Yeah, exactly. So he he drove them out forty five minutes out of town and just pushed them out of the car and just took off. They were able to find a car that would take them back into town and uh, they got back in, talked to the authorities, got with the police and. And we're taken care of. But I've got mad props for these guys. Yeah. Even though they were kidnapped, beaten, thrown out to die in out in the middle of nowhere, these guys continued their mission. Mormon missionaries typically go for a two-year they stint. They didn't stop. No, they didn't stop. They they continued on. Now, they were moved to different areas. They moved to different places. And uh, I think one of them might have gone to Poland. Uh, maybe, maybe one of them went to another place in in Russia, but they went back out and they finished their mission. If this happened to me, if, if everything was exactly the same and I got pushed out of that car, the first thing I would have been thinking of is get me on a freaking plane. Right. Right. Like screw, screw (laughs) this, man. I mean, I'm done here, man. It it didn't even take a kidnapping for me to go home. It it only took my grandfather passing away for me to get out of there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. These guys, they finished their mission though. It's, it's incredible. These dudes, they, yeah. they they hung in there, like the end of the the article yeah. on the L.A. Times. It just ends with, uh, you know, representatives of the LDS Church saying, "We are all rejoicing. The missionaries are safe." And then this, there's a quote at the yeah. end from this police officer in Saratov, and this guy he picked the missionaries up after they they called the authorities, and he said, "I'm personally very very glad they are safe and sound." If something had happened to them, it would have complicated our lives a great deal. We all feel relieved here. <laughs> and uh, like, okay, yeah. all's well that ends well. Uh, back to your mission. And these guys, they, they, they just jump right back into it, man. Actually, there was a feature-length movie that came out about this story. We got permission to play some of the trailer. Let's listen to it here. A year ago today, I left my family, my friends, and countless female admirers. <laughs> to come to Russia, a place that is cold, miserable, and where I couldn't speak the language to save my life. And may your success continue through the coming year. Two American missionaries are being reported kidnapped after a ransom note was found on a Russian official's door. No, 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 don't shoot me! You come from a big American church, going around town telling people he loves everybody. Does he love me? 
whatever you want will get you money, not food, passports, anything. Just, just tell us. President Clinton pledged full support of efforts to bring the missionaries to safety, though no ransom will be paid. I'm losing my patience. Our mission is over. We've got to come up with a plan that we both feel good about. It's got to be perfect. We get one shot at this. We have about a one in a million chance of surviving here. I want to be alive to take that chance. You pray for me and my family. You know, I mean, man, that's stressful. And I mean, we dealt with stress, yeah. not to that level, but uh, but it was stressful out there. Living, we've mentioned this before, living in a different country, experiencing a different culture can be really tough. And for us, working with the Baptists was just stress upon stress. We always had to be on. We always were performing. And it was never enough. You know, we just never felt like we were good enough and just never felt like we had any wins. Um, it was like an uphill battle the whole time. And that was something I think that we probably shared with the Mormon missionaries. Uh, it was probably tough just in general, even without thinking about kidnappings. The guys that we met, it was probably tough for them in their lives too. Yeah, I, I remember one guy in particular that, that I met and I talked to him for a long time. When we went to that Sparzal, to the, the sports center, uh, there was one mm-hmm. of the, he was about halfway through his mission. And I remember, oh man, I, I really identify with this guy. This dude, he was a nervous wreck. He was, like I talked to him, he was cool too because he said, he said some mild swear words like damn and hell. You know, nothing much beyond that. <laughs> but I was like, this is, he's a cool Mormon. He's, <laughs> he's saying some PG-13 things here. And, uh, <laughs> but, but talking to this dude, uh, I was like, we, we clicked instantly because, because I was going through this stuff too. I feel like on a, in a different way than, than you and Murph. Um, I mean, all of us were stressed in our own way. But I was talking to this guy, and he was—he couldn't sit still the whole time. He was—he was—he was jittery. Mm. He was shaky. He was like his—you know—he had his hands are shaking, his legs. He got like the 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 Jimmy leg the whole time. He's talking to me, and he's and he's telling me like I don't I don't know when I've done enough here. Like I've I try wow. to I try to share my faith with enough people. I try to pass out enough pamphlets and tracks and things and i never know if it's enough and i i try to learn russian it's it's always it's never enough and this is this is a good word to use a a mormon phrase incorrectly this is a word of wisdom for anyone who is learning the russian language you are never going to learn it it's never going to be enough (laughs) Like, i don't care i don't care how many years you study russian it's never going to be enough, man. You're always going to mess up yeah. some kind of declension, something grammatical. And so, which is, like, that's stressful enough for somebody who works in the embassy or the consulate. But this dude, like, he's trying to do things perfect. And and he's realizing, like, he was smart enough to know what he didn't know, which is a very dangerous place for any intelligent person to be. Well, Dave, uh, you know, I don't ever remember you shaking or, like, what you said, uh, being that nervous, but you, you kind of had a nervous breakdown too, right? Yeah. You want to share that story with us? Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind sharing it. I, I really, I lost it. We, uh, you remember that, that Baptist camp that we worked at where we dug the outhouses. Oh yeah. During that camp, like everything came to a head for me. And it was like, it was a lot of stuff all came together at once. 
and I've I, this is something I'm not ashamed to say this. I've, this is something I've talked about in therapy with with different therapists, psychologists, and and something that therapists will tell you is any big problem that you have, it's overdetermined. It's not like in the movies where you go back and say, oh, it was because old Mrs. Witherspoon hit me on the wrist back in Catholic school. Like it's never that easy. It's always a bunch of stuff that came comes together, and in this yeah. case, that like it was all this stuff from from my upbringing, from family stuff. Mm. It was this message that I heard from that nervous Mormon missionary. And it was this message of it's never enough. Yeah. You're never good enough. You haven't done enough. You're not okay. You're not acceptable. And and that was this this message that I had gotten so used to hearing my whole life. But hearing it from the Russian Baptist somehow brought it home more. And so mm. during that that summer camp, you know, the first few days, it was kind of fun. We were digging the outhouses and, you know, helping yeah. set up the camp because they, they just kind of staked out a place in the middle of the woods. And so we, we dug these pits for the outhouses and set up places for the tents. And then the students came, these, you know, kids from the, the Baptist church. And it's cool. But the... They're coming and they're going through these these Bible studies every day. And every Bible study was like worse than the last one. It was all about hell and brimstone. <laughs> and it was all like you have you might have a demon in your life if you've ever played uh, solitaire on a laptop computer like we, <laughs> like we oh, had. Count, count me in. Yeah, yeah, demon signed up, man. Check check that box. <laughs> so at first I was like, oh, it's okay. We're just going to go with the strides because this is the, the church that we're working with and it's fine. And like the more time went on, I mean, one of the breaking points was, was like we mentioned in a past episode when I just, I got up to go to the outhouse and, uh, Tonya, one of the leaders, she thought I was sneaking off to go make out with Oksana in the woods. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I just want to take a dump in the outhouse. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was, I was still just trying to take it in stride. But we had to take turns getting up at two in the morning to do security detail at the camp. Oh so yeah, had, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you you did you did that right? You you were you and Murph yeah. both. Yeah, we had a little candle uh, at the um, table that we built, and um, we just had to sit there and just make sure that like nobody got up to screw off in the in the forest, <laughs> or or I guess maybe maybe we were watching out for people coming who might want to steal our stuff or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, every night we had to get up and do that. I I totally forgot about that. Like that's the kind of thing that you can deal with, you know, for one or two or three days in a row. But like you combine the sleep deprivation and uh I mean, you, if you talk to people who research cults and people who research kidnappers and re- research any kinds of of mind control, like when you don't get enough sleep and food and you're chronically sleep deprived and chronically exhausted, that alone is going to take you to a breaking point. Yeah. For me, it was it was like that plus years and years of hearing these messages in the churches that we grew up in. I mean, even from pastors at the church that in California that sent us to Russia in yeah. the first place. Yeah. These messages that said you're it's not enough. You are only acceptable as a human being if you are building churches, if you're spreading this message of what we think we've decided Christianity is. And so going out I, as missionaries. Yeah, being missionaries. Like that's the only way to be an acceptable person. And like that'll that's gonna mess with your head, man. Yeah. And and by the end of it, like at at the end I remember the the pastor Pastor Misha, he he confronted me because he was I don't even know what the hell it was about. It was it was just because like we didn't want to take down some tents. It was some some ridiculous thing. 
они говорят, Давид, вы приехали, чтобы вас служили или чтобы вы служили? Have you come for people to serve you or for you to serve? Ugh. And this is like after weeks and weeks of just psychological, like minor grade psychological torture of like, and, and feeling like it's never good enough. And all these voices from childhood and, and everything coming up in my head. And that was it. I was, I was done. So I just, I walked off into the woods and I remember, I remember you and Murph following me. Like, like, yeah. I mean, it was like, he's not okay. It was, that's, that's what a real friend does. Yeah. You guys, you went after me because like, you could see that I was like, I remember I was not an emotional dude. I was not the kind of guy to ever have an outburst. I was always keeping it together. And that was, that was the end of it. Like it was the end of the camp. All the kids are going back. We had to stay around to break down camp. And the pastor is, is getting on my ass about this. And, and I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I walked off into the woods and I remember the tears are just pouring down my face. And I, I'm not a guy to ever have tears pouring down my face for any reason. Mm. And I just walked into the trees. I had no idea where I was going. And you guys just followed after me. Like you didn't, you didn't ask any questions. You just, you just went after me. And, uh, like, I, I don't know who would have done that. Like that's, that's what a real friend does, man. Mm. Like it was, it was. One of the the hardest times of my life, and I went off into the woods, and you guys, you didn't say anything. You guys didn't tell me, "Hey, come back." Hey, it's cool. You just, you were just right there behind me. You were, you were there with me, and then you were like, "Hey, it's yeah. cool, man." Just, I remember. I think you, you Grant, you like, you put a hand on my shoulder, and you said, "Hey, just, just let it out, Dave. It's okay." And I, I, I remember I screamed at the trees. Like we were, we were far <laughs> enough away from the Baptist camp. I think I, I screamed. The F word, probably. I, I screamed some kind of curse word. Yeah. And <laughs> I just, I just let it, let it all out. And I, I just yeah. shouted. And you were like, "Hey, it's okay. It's, it's fine." Like sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. Well, we, I think we all kind of reached breaking points uh, while we were out there. That was your breaking point, and uh, I know. I, I know Murph was kind of in a in a similar pl similar place. I think by that time at camp, I think he had already decided that he was going to be going right back to the states. And so, so I I know he he had he probably had the toughest time for us. That for you, I know you, Dave. You were kind of our leader. Uh, you were the one who you were the oldest one of us. <laughs> you were. Um, You had spent more time out of the country. I know you had lived in Mexico before that. You were the best at the language. So you were kind of the de facto leader. So you, I think you had to deal with a lot more crap than we had to deal with. And, and I know that that was probably all came to a head there at the camp. And uh, that was your time. Um, I, I, I think a little bit about Murph sometimes and think about his experience. He was the youngest of us. And uh, it was a totally different experience for him. Yeah. And he left after four months. We The camp was kind of right at the three-month part of our time out there. And he left uh, just a little bit after that. I remember him just, like, getting really frustrated about things. Uh, do you remember when we were uh, talking about buying a water filter and you, you, as our leader, were saying, no, we can't do that, we can't be exorbitant Americans? I remember Murph being like, you're not my effing dad, Dave. <laughs> and and uh, I, I feel like that, I, was, I feel like we had that conversation a lot of times. Of just, yeah, like, that probably like happened me, more than once. Because we were like, 
I mean, we were all just these kids. We were in our early 20s. Mm. And, and I mean, like, thank God we weren't. It makes me think of these stories of, of guys who are in the military, you know, dudes who like guys who went to Vietnam and the, all these different foreign wars, like U.S. invasions of countries. And it's like they're like everyone is kids. And I was just the, yeah. the oldest kid of all of us kids. <laughs> and so I, yeah. for some reason, that make that makes me the leader. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were all just trying to figure it out. I remember Murph getting, like, upset when uh, Mama Nadia would call him Malish. That was kind of her uh, Malish, pet Malish. name for him, her nickname. Boy, Malish. Malish. Yeah. He's in he, he, in his head. He's like, I'm not a baby, but we were really just kids. And he's like, but I'm not a baby. Malish and, uh, means baby in Russian, so that's what she called yeah. him because he was. She knew he was the youngest. He was the youngest. I I I know for me, I I think I was. Um, I'm generally a pretty easygoing guy, so some of the times when Murph was upset, I I wasn't really feeling the same way. I think I was in a better place that week at camp than you were, so. You know, for me to be able to put my hand on you and just let you know that I'm just there for you, for some reason, I was able to do that. I don't really know why, yeah. but um, dude, I'm I'm serious. Like, I I want to I want to say this on the air for everyone to hear. Like, you you saved my ass, man. I don't know, I <laughs> you because the the Baptists they needed somebody to stay behind for three more days and break down camp, and I I couldn't hang, man. I I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and you said it's fine. I'm I'm gonna do it. And I, I honestly like it sounds like such such BS. Like it sounds like it's not a big deal. But I I don't know what I would have done if if they had said David, you have to stay here. I don't oh, know, man. man. I don't I don't know what I would have done. Like you would you would have gone postal <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I would I would have gone. Thank God there's strict gun laws in Russia because otherwise I would have gone yeah. postal. Well, I I definitely I definitely dealt with. Uh, getting depressed and and getting bummed out. I remember by the time month nine rolled around, which was about as long as I stayed, I was sleeping during the day. Uh, I was staying up all night, uh, chatting <laughs> online with friends back home. You know, we had we had a little computer in the uh, two thousand three, two thousand four when we were out there. That was kind of the time when um, AOL Instant Messenger kind of got big, and so I had. Yeah. I had some friends that I would talk to and I would stay up all night because it was daytime over in America. So on the opposite side of that, I was sleeping during the day and I think people were probably wondering about, about me. Our friends would come over and I'd be sleeping or whatever. But, um, you know, we, we all kind of dealt with that. And, and I think one of the things for me, at least coming through it, and you've kind of, you kind of hinted at it, the way that we supported each other in little ways, like how you said at camp, me just putting my hand on your shoulder. Right. Those were the types of things that I think made our friendship and our relationship more than, you know, just we're spending a a, a year together out in a foreign country. Right. Obviously, it's 15 years later and we're still friends and we're still talking about this stuff. And even though there was some bad times like this, uh, we're able to to go through those and process those together. I think I was dealing with some of the depression coming back even for a while after I was back. And it took a few years until you and I kind of reconnected after you returned back for me to be able to process some of that time and really see like, oh yeah, you know what? There was some crappy times that we had out there, but really our 
experience in Russia was a positive. Yeah. And at the very least, neither of us got kidnapped or stabbed, right? Yeah, that yeah, that's a that's a plus. That's a win. <laughs> and it's like there I mean, we were dealing with a multiple levels of of stresses. Like there's the stress of just being in a foreign culture which which like any I mean any immigrant and a, like statistically one in 25 humans in the world is an immigrant right now is living in wow. a culture that they didn't grow up in. So like to put it into perspective like this is this is if you put all the immigrants who are living in a, a some co- country that they didn't grow up in like it would be a country bigger than most of the biggest economies on earth and this is the kind of stuff that that these human beings are dealing with uh, but you add to that this other level of you know growing up in churches where it's like you have to perform you have to do you have to make converts you have to to build some new uh chapter of your home church and yeah. and so all those things thrown together but you're right i mean at the end of the day we didn't get kidnapped we didn't get stabbed and at the end of the day we we found out that we we had a lot more in common with the lds missionaries the mormon missionaries that we met than we ever would have guessed going into this whole thing yeah and you know i think we moved past and i don't know if we could put like a date on it or a point in time but during that nine months that i was out there i really my paradigm changed uh my my the way that i viewed the world changed the way that i viewed myself changed instead of this narrative that i grew up with about performing and doing slowly i was able to learn and accept grace <laughs> i was able to transition from having to do all these things to be right with god or to be right with my pastor or to be right with myself and to really understand the importance of just kind of being yeah um and 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 that really started uh, from our time in Russia, and that's been a journey that I've been on since then. I think I think a lot of people who who've grown up in countries like the U.S. grow up with this idea that you know that you've got the answers, and you're encouraged to to feel like you've got all the answers. And especially you add on onto this idea of you know all the foreign policy of a country like the U.S. Yeah, add on to that this uh, particular very evangelical Christian mindset. A feeling yeah. like, hey, we're going to go save people. We're these American cowboys, and we're going to come into town with our six shooters, and we're going to fix things up and teach people how to do things <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and like that, I think that's one of the biggest things that we had in common with these, these Mormon missionaries. And at some point along the line, all of us, I think us and the Mormon missionaries, and I mean, I, I don't know, you could even tie in like, like U.S. soldiers here in, in the different... Uh, things the u.s military has been involved with it's like you go in thinking you've got the answers and you're going to fix things and then you're there and you're like dude this is this is way more complicated than i thought it would be i don't have any answers at all i'm just a dude i'm just a guy i think one of the things that really changed for us uh after camp and this was i think it was kind of a turning point for us was instead of us thinking that we had to come and just do everything that the Baptists told us to do, that we had to uh, do everything their way. Uh, we, I think we kind of realized that maybe there was a different way and we could be effective and we could be a light in people's lives in a different way. And so after this camp, we were able to put together our club that we started. It started with in the church, in the Baptist church with the Baptist youth leaders, you know, there was a, 
about a dozen, you know, teenage, early 20s type kids who we got to know. And we started a club with them, a weekly club where we would get together. And one of the things that I thought was really cool about it was we weren't we weren't necessarily telling these kids who came like, you've got to convert, you've got to do whatever. But we were just kind of trying to, as Christians, share God's love with them. Yeah. And that was something that was totally, a totally different way than the Baptists did. And, and that really, that really changed the way that we did ministry out there since we were missionaries that really changed the way that we did life out there. Um, and it's really, it's kind of interesting because uh, I think a little bit about now, like if we were to go there right now, we wouldn't have even been able to do ministry the way that the Baptists did. Yeah. You know, going house to house with Vitali, like there's no way we could have done that. The The laws have t- totally changed since we've been there. Yeah. And especially like when you, when we go back to the, these Mormon missionaries, these guys, they can't do the kind of stuff that they did when we met them back in 2003 and 2004. So yeah. like there there have been a lot of changes in the laws since then. So the government definition of what is defined as a non-fringe religion, as an acceptable religion, mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically these a very, a definition of these very mainstream religions like Catholicism, Judaism, Islam, Orthodox Christianity, a few others. Uh, a lot of evangelical Christians are not included in it uh, in the Mormon church. Is not included yeah. in it. So the the Mormon Church it was it was growing from ninety one to two thousand eleven, and they could do the whole evangelism and go meeting people. But then after two thousand eleven, that was when the the kibosh got put on them, right? Yeah. Currently, it's it's illegal for for these fringe religions to proselytize anywhere other than the sanctioned places of worship. You know, we could talk about the Bible if we were in the Baptist church, but if we wanted to go and do a concert and say something about the Bible, we wouldn't be able to do that. The missionaries, the the foreign Mormon missionaries who are over there working now, they've even changed their titles to volunteers. They don't even call themselves missionaries anymore. And in general, in Russia, they don't even wear their name tags that, you know, Normally in America, you can spot out the Mormon missionaries by seeing their name tags there. Yeah, and the bicycles and the bike helmets, and, you know. We, yeah. we, all learned, we all learned that from South Park, so we know how to spot them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you, know, you know, even though things were tough and we had some breaking points, uh, we still love Russia. And that's the whole reason why we're doing this. Uh, yeah. We love Russia. We love the culture. We love the people. And uh, and we want to share that with who with who we're ta- who's listening. And there there came this transitional point where where we at some point we we naturally move beyond this idea that we have to to teach people to think the way we think and and we just opened up our ears and our eyes and we said let's just listen let's just let's get to know these guys let's get to know these people in yeah. this country and because this is a country that's been around for a lot longer than the country we come from and let's listen and that's that's what inspired us that's what what made us want to keep coming back to Russia and I I mean I feel like like you and me both Grant we're we live outside of Russia but I feel like we're not going to be outside of Russia forever I feel like at some point we're going to go back to Russia yeah I hear you thanks for listening to this episode of To Russia With Love write a review download and click subscribe to never miss an upcoming episode to stay even more connected, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at TRWL Podcast or Instagram at TRWL underscore podcast. 
You can always email us anytime at trwlpodcast at gmail.com. To Russia with Love is sponsored by the KGB, the Kremlin, and Vladimir Putin's personal podcast fund. Спасибо за внимание. Please, thank you.